Today on World Footprints, in the afterglow of the Rio games, Brazil and Rio continue to struggle with political and economic challenges. We'll share the history, the stories, and the hopes of the people we met during our time there. Rio's diversity shows in its neighborhoods and districts. The Lapa district, famous for the arches, is the cradle of Bohemian Rio, and Dr. Luciana Fagundes shares Lapa's remarkable history. These are the arches. They were built in the middle of the 18th century. Rio's favelas are misunderstood thanks to fear and prejudice, but Adam Newman of Favela Experience might inspire a favela stay on your next trip to Rio. We developed uh, specific tours that incorporated a social project. The job of boosting inbound international visitors to Brazil falls on the shoulders of Embratur's Vinicius Lumerts. So it's quite a phenomenon to have a large democracy, the size of Brazil, uh, one man, one vote, uh, a developing country. Plus, we'll visit Rio's modernist cathedral and hear from an American expat in Rio on World Footprints with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Later in the hour, from the motorcycle taxis to its colorful murals, the favela of Vidigal proved warm and inviting, breaking stereotypes one might hold about such communities. A visit to Favela Experience, a hostel, provides an immersive cultural opportunity to see the real Rio as American expat Adam Newman shares. Even after the Rio Games, social, political, and economic woes have made drawing international visitors to Brazil somewhat challenging. In a conversation with the head of Embratur, Brazil's international tourism arm, Vinicius Lumertz, shares how Brazil will meet and overcome the challenges. Plus, we'll visit Rio's modernist cathedral and see the city through the eyes of an American expat living there who shares his love of Brazil and its beautiful people. And he introduced us to the music of Sal George, now a favorite artist of ours. But first, Rio is a city of neighborhoods and districts. The best way to explore a city's history and culture is through its neighborhoods by foot. We begin our walking tour of Rio in the historic central district of Lapa, an area known as the Cradle of Bohemian Rio. We walked in the footsteps of Rio's rich history and among the city's historical monuments, including the Carioca Aqueduct and its famous arches with Dr. Luciana Fagundas. This street, uh, Rua do Lavradio, uh, it's an homage to Marquês de Lavradio. Lavradio Mar Marquis. It was uh, a great uh, governor of Rio de Janeiro, also in the 18th century, and he did a lot of, you know, like modification in this area of the city because it was you know, like growing because of the arches. So he did the pavimentation of the street, and if you go all the way, you're gonna see his house that's re uh, renewed and everything. Mm -hmm. But we are going that way <laughs> to the arches. Oh. This street. Main de Sa was built in the beginning of the 20th century. It was another period of great expansion of the city. And the name is after the third governor of Brazil, of the colonial Brazil. He was actually the second founder of the city. Because the city had two foundations. One uh, in 1565, next to Sugarloaf. Because when the Portuguese came to found they found the French here, so they had to expel the French. 
So they found the city there. That's in the entrance of the bay. And the French were uh, actually, how can I say, uh, next to where it, where it is today, the Saint-Dumont airport. We continued our walk through Lapa toward the arches, and amidst construction and traffic, we learned about early French invasion and colonialism. What they did was they stayed there and they attacked the French. And they expelled them and everything and came and found a new city. On the 1st of March of 1567. The Carioca Aqueduct is an impressive Roman-style building comprised of 42 arches that stand nearly 18 meters high and stretches 270 meters long. As we hear later, this structure was a connector for neighborhoods. These are the arches. They were built in the middle of the 18th century. And the goal was to get the water from Santa Teresa Hill to Carioca, which is uh, a square on the other side, you know, where you had a big fountain where people could get the water. The early landscape of Central Rio was hilly and barely habitable. There was no easy access to water, so the Carioca Aqueduct was built for the purpose of leading water to Santa Teresa and Santo Antonio. So we have the two hills, Santo Antonio Hill and there the Santa Teresa Hill. So the arch was to connect those hills to water, to get water to the city. And afterwards was used for transportation, you know, to, to pass the train above it. So this area started to expand, as I said it, at the end of the 18th century, and stayed like that, you know, like with, uh, with these landfills and everything. And in the beginning of the 20th century, You're listening to World Footprints with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. We're exploring the Lapa District in Centro Rio. No matter where you find yourself in Rio, beautiful street art abounds. In the Federal District, the art there was a feast for the eyes. What is it about Rio and murals and art and graffiti? The street art. Yes. Yeah. Well, I believe it's something that uh, we cultivated here. Rio is a very artistic city, you know, we, we value actually those, those, those kind of, you know, like street artists, but it, was, it wasn't like that always, it's a, it's a, it's a very, you know, like uh, modern thing, you know, the valorization of graffiti and everything. So uh, here we have some uh, landmarks that are very important, right beside us we have the National Music School from the Federal University of Rio de Janeiro. Although that was created, that building. Yeah, it's, it's actually 
all, all those buildings, those two buildings that are from the National School of Music. And what, what was established here, that was a place for music, arts, like a, a, a real space for them. Mm. So, in Carnival, they install a, a stage over there, near the arches, and this gets crowded. As we learned, Lapa is a very central neighborhood. You go all the way through there, you go to the south zone of the city. You go this way, you go to the center. That's why Lapa began to the valorization to, to actually live in Lapa, because it's a very central neighborhood, and uh, the, the price of the, the, the apartments and everything got a, a, it was really, you know, like, oh, that's interesting. Actually, in the middle of the city, the prices are good. So. Mm -hmm. But now it's very expensive. Yeah. Our exploration on foot took us to a botanical gym in Centro Rio, the city's first public park. Unfortunately, it was closed, so we couldn't venture inside. This garden, it's a very important one, because it was opened in the at the end of the 18th century. It was the first of the city. Okay. And uh, it's called Paseo Público, which means public walk, but it's mm -hmm. not actually... <laughs> It's, like, it's more like a garden. Yeah. I, I think the translation is, would be like public garden. Mm -hmm. would be more adequate. You have some very interesting art, artwork of Mestre Valentin, which was a Portuguese artist that made a lot of things in Rio in the 18th century. In the 18th century, in the beginning of the 19th century. Paseo Público, the city's first public park, was built in the 1780s and is the oldest public park in Brazil and one of the oldest in the Americas. The park was designed by Master Valentim, the premier sculptor and urban planner in Rio at the time. Valentim designed the park in the French formal garden style in the shape of an irregular hexagon. At the time it was built, the park transformed a polluted lagoon and was considered a major improvement for urban Rio. Valentim installed iron gates at the park entrance, bronze statues, two granite pyramids and fountains, all of which remain today. But in 1864, the park was modernized in the English garden style by a French designer. Over the years, the park fell in and out of disrepair. This is a new square. Uh... The name is Mahatma Gandhi. Okay. Uh, but the waterfall is it's not. The waterfall is actually very old. What they did is uh, they did the square and they built a parking lot underneath. Okay. It was a renovation that was made, I believe, in the beginning of 2000. It's very new. Because actually here we had a big palace that was the Senate between the First Republic, okay. the beginning of the 20th century, but it was torn down. This is Cinelandia. The name came in the 1920s because the area was crowded with cinemas and theaters, but this was the only one left. The Odeon. Yeah, only one left, which is a pity because it was very beautiful. If we look... There are only two buildings that discharacterize this, this area. They were turned down and we had like, almost as it was in the beginning of the 20th century. 
because the problem with this type of architecture, because it's architecture is from the uh, the beginning of the century, we call it uh, uh, eclectic architecture. It was very despised in the 30, the 30s, by the modernists. Okay. Because they had another uh, view, the other things they were valuing and they would get valorized at that time. And this type of architecture wasn't, because they say it was purely a limitation of European influences. It was national. It wasn't like original. So a lot of things got torn down mm. at that period, and we almost lost the Rio de Janeiro from the beginning of the 20th century. From 1763 to 1969, Rio de Janeiro was Brazil's capital city. But a decision was made to create a more centrally located capital, so Brasilia was planned and established in 1960. Unlike Rio, Brasilia was a purposefully built capital city and it only took 41 months to create. It's not like Brasilia or Washington. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because they were made capital. Right. Mm -hmm. This wasn't actually. It was like. Uh, it was. Uh, as they needed, they right. were building and destroying yeah. things. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that is the convent of Santo Antonio, mm -hmm. which is the, the only part of the Santo Antonio hill that I showed you. Actually, the, the arches are right oh. passing, like, behind. Okay. Okay. The white, the white building. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's okay. the convent of okay. Santo Antonio. That's a very old building. This is the Municipal Theater from the beginning of the 20. He was inaugurated in 1910, I believe. And the architecture is based on the Opéra Paris. The, the, the Opéra, the theater in Paris. Okay. So the architecture is also eclectic, so it mixes a lot of styles. Okay. Uh, but I think it's way more beautiful than Opéra. <laughs> Bronze statues of famous Brazilian composers complement the theater's landscape. This is a, a famous music composer, a famous Brazilian music composer, Carlos Gomes. Uh, he composed in the 19th century mostly, and his music is known as like a, a trademark for Brazilian classical music. But uh, the thing is, didn't compose music in Portuguese because at that time uh, if you compose an opera you would do it in Italian so his famous opera uh, the Guarani Guarani it's the people the indigenous people Guarani the language uh, the, the name of the opera is Il Guarani in Italian they would write all his operas in Italian and uh, it was like that for a while uh, until we had also in the 1920s a movement to start writing things in Portuguese, to sing things in Portuguese. That was a nationalist movement. We finished our walking tour of Lapa in the sweetest of all possible ways. Inside the century-old Confectario Colombo, that has been serving up chocolate, pastries, coffee, and conversations within its historic walls for over 120 years. So we are going to Colombo.
It's yeah. a famous confectionery. So uh, it's from the end of the 18th century, but it had like a lot of phases where they were adding something. The, the, the second floor. Mm. It's from the 20s. Uh, the mirrors, they're from another period, but they were always adding some things and made it like very, very art nouveau. Mm. Since it was founded by Portuguese, the specialty is the Portuguese candy. They sell this vintage you know, cans with uh, mm. a lot of goiabada. It's, uh, it's a sweet made uh, with goiaba. It's like they melt the fruit. Melted down with sugar, and so this was a very important place for poets, writers, neat, and especially politicians. Mm -hmm. They did a lot of meetings here, you know, like informal ones, mm -hmm. that backstage politics that we know. The wood from the, you know, like the borders of the mural, it's jacaranda. It's a very noble wood here in Brazil. And the mirrors are from Belgium. Belgium. It's very you know, like classy yeah. and have marble. Here you can grasp a little bit the telephone of Rio de Janeiro. To learn more about Lapa and the varied neighborhoods of Rio, go to visit.rio and search Lapa. That's L-A-P-A. We'll have a link for that website on this show page at worldfootprints.com. In this destination spotlight, one of the sites a visitor to Rio must see is the Metropolitan Cathedral of St. Sebastian, located in the central district of Rio. Completed in 1979, this architectural marvel by Edgar Forseca drew inspiration from Mayan pyramids. It's a modern church, as you can see, the, the light only enters by some parts. Looking outside, you can see it's only dark, but when you enter, your eyes get used to it too. You're gonna see by up the cross. You're gonna see that that even the type of cross that they have inside is different, and it's made to 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 use on, not only with your eyes but with your senses when you enter. It's something really uh, a different experience of entering a church because we are used to enter churches really old, but when you see uh, inside and see the structures and the history of the walls. It's a really different way to tell us history. And as we stand in front of the cathedral, we can see Christ the Redeemer off in the distance. Rio, like many places, is undergoing a rejuvenization. Tell us about what's happening here in the central city. The downtown area are changing for almost the last decade. They are trying to bring new ways to live in other parts that were abandoned, like, for example, the neighborhood of Lapa. And for the Olympics, as we can see, that the part near the bay, they are doing some new buildings and trying to bring residents more near the, this, those areas. For example, Lapa, it was a Bohemian neighborhood by the 50s, 60s, 70s, but 
uh, they are trying to bring that 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 part that that history of Rio back together. And as we can say, for like less than a 500 meters, we have really old buildings for the beginning of Rio next to really modern buildings. So this type of difference of design, architecture, and you can see everything in a walking distance really good. So with all this and bringing people to live near these areas and bring uh, artists' demonstrations and uh, manifestations of every, every cultural aspect that we have here. Rio is a tale of many cities. Affluent neighborhoods with luxury high-rises are surrounded by poor and working-class favelas. We visited Vigigal, a favela overlooking Ipanema Beach, where we met Adam Newman of Favela Experience, a hostel located in a Vigigal neighborhood. Vigigal is, is probably has some of the, the most amount of access to, to tourists, I would say, of any favela within Rio, other than Santa Marta, which is in Botafogo. The unique thing about Vigigal is it has incredible views, and on the other side of, of the community, you have access to the trail to the, to the mountain Doizier Mouse. Uh, which, in my opinion, is one of the best medium difficulty hikes. You know, it's about 45 minutes, and you have insane panoramic views of the entire city that, in my opinion, are, are just as good, if not better, than from uh, the Christ statue. Uh, the difference being it's not totally crowded with lots of people, and, uh, and you get the additional benefit of getting to know an awesome community like Vigigal in the process. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's... He said, it's, it's a really vibrant community. It's a really welcoming place. The people are really friendly. You're walking around on the streets. Um, you know, everybody says hi, and you really just feel a communal energy here. You have a variety of really nice little restaurants. It's a place where business is, is flourishing, and, and, of course, it's still a favela, and there, there's lots of very important social issues that, that we have to deal with. But in general, I would say Vigigal is, if not the safest, one of the safest places in all of Rio, contrary to what many local Rio residents may tell you. We asked Adam about his life in Vigigal as a foreigner and advice he would give to visitors. Even if you can spend a couple weeks just trying to learn some basic Portuguese, it'll facilitate your experience, uh, you know, tenfold. And so not only that, uh, even if your accent is terrible, which uh, as Americans generally, we're not the, the, the biggest linguistic talented people in the world but that doesn't really matter and in Rio people are very patient people are very friendly and so even just by you trying you're already demonstrating a willingness you know to to, to go deeper into the culture and, and try to blend in um, and, and even just the minimal acts of, of, of trying will, will open up doors to you know um, more more alternative experiences than you normally have in terms of Recommendations of coming to Vigigal and, and coming to Rio in general is try not to cut your, your trip too short. When, as travelers, we always try to like to get the most out of, of that, every experience and see a lot of different places at, at once. But Rio is such a complex, diverse, and large place that can, and it can take a long time to get around the city that by giving yourself, you know, like two weeks, you can really go a lot deeper and I guarantee you you're not going to run out of things to do. If anything, you're going to wish you had more time. So I think... Uh, Making sure that you have enough time to, you know, come to the favela and spend three to five days, and actually, even if you're not spending all all day in the favela, just coming and going from the space will already start to create a deeper level of empathy and connection with the people and what it's like to actually live here. 
So can you tell us a little bit more about the favela experience? What is that exactly? Is that the name of this hostel? Um, But what are some of the social impact projects that you have here? So favela experience is a social impact tourism company, right? We work with accommodation in the form of hostels and homestays. And we also develop a variety of different social impact tours and experiences throughout eight different favelas in Rio. Um, so, so you're kind of like an Airbnb for favelas. I mean, people like to make that connection, but I, I would like to say that we're, we're much different from Airbnb mm-hmm. because we're trying to humanize the experience. Sure. Right. So Airbnb does is a great tool, but the reality is Airbnb is already in the favelas. But it, it, it's not that effective because there's not a high level of personalization. Mm-hmm. There's not a deep understanding of the people, their needs, their education, and what they're able to provide and how they're able to provide it. And also there's no communication in deep, authentic ways that demonstrate you know, solutions to some of the, the, the informational barriers that people might have about safety, about, you know about uh, the reality of life in the favela. Mm. And so we, we go to a much deeper level. Our goal is not, is not focused on quantity, it's focused on quality. And so rather than trying to sign up 300 homes across as many different favelas as possible, I'd much rather have less properties where I'm more deeply involved, where I'm making a, a more specific, larger scale impact on a, on a specific family. And, and then try to replicate and scale that over time. I, w- I would much rather be able to guarantee high, high levels of demand, providing consistent streams of, of additional revenue and impact for a select group of people, than, than maybe underachieving uh, on a larger scale with more properties. Mm-hmm. Right? So we, we spent a lot of time on the quality experience, and because we live here, and, and because aside from having lots of partners in the favelas, all those people are also our friends. During the Olympics, one of the specific uh, initiatives that we created was called Favelidade, and it was 10 experiences in 10 favelas in 10 days. What we did is we, we developed uh, specific tours and that incorporated a social project or NGO, a local tour guide, um, a local gastronomic uh, location, and local transportation. And we went to those different communities, we designed and coordinated the experiences, and we brought in a group of volunteers in a partnership with an organization called Atadus, which is also an NGO, and through a partnership with Passaporte Verde, which is an initiative of the UN, uh, of PNUMA, and that supports sustainable tourism and authentic um, experiences in, in the city. Adam said that he had hoped more tourists would have taken advantage of his tours, but he knew he was competing against two forces the Olympic Games, and people's perception of favelas. The general misconceptions about favelas is they're crime-ridden, full of drugs, and poor people who are suffering, right? And uh, it couldn't be farther from the truth, at least specifically in the communities that, that, that we're primarily operating in. But in, in general, even the, some of the favelas in worse in economic conditions, you still find sparks of, of uh, incredible inspiration and, and you know amazing people who are really trying to make a difference in their lives and and are very open to receiving people from around the world and in many ways believe that tourism is an opportunity to generate positive visibility for their community so you know contrary to what some people think that by going to a favela and contributing to uh, to a, an irresponsible uh, sector of tourism it, in, it, that can be true if you're working with the wrong operators Right? Because there is a historical existence of operators that did exploit communities and, and utilize them to generate profits 
without leaving any specific impact within the community itself. So I think it's important that when people do go and visit favelas, that they, they do their research on who they're going to, to work with and, and who's selling them that experience to see, if, you know, from the best of their ability, if, if it's actually an authentic company, uh, you know, looking to create real sustainability. Um, but, you know, the reality is, is in, in a lot of the favelas, you still have you still have drug dealers and you still have violence. But those neither of those things uh, represent the majority of the community. It's a very select group of people in very specific areas of the favela. And, in gen- and aside from that, you have a whole bunch of residents just trying to live their life every single day, right? Um, and so I, th- I think it's important that, that people understand that just because a place has drugs and just because a place has crime, just because a place has violence does not mean it's dangerous. We will continue our visit to Vigigal and favela experience in a moment. If you want more information on both, visit favelaexperience.com. We will have a link for these sites on this show page at worldfootprints.com. You're listening to World Footprints with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Just ahead, Rio's favelas often conjure images of crime and poverty, but our ground-truthing trek to Vigigal to meet American expat Adam Newman of Favela Experience might get you to include a favela stay on your next trip to Rio. We'll continue our conversation with Adam. And later, the job of boosting inbound international visitors to Brazil falls on the shoulders of Ember Tours president, Vinicius Lumertz, and it's not without some major challenges. Plus, we'll get some perspectives on Brazil and Rio from Zach Barney, an American expat who introduced us to the music of Sao George. If you want to travel deeper and uncover more powerful stories about interesting people like Adam Newman and Zach Barney, visit our website, worldfootprints.com. visit to Vigigal, a favela overlooking Impinima Beach, we met Adam Newman of Favela Experience. Let's continue our conversation with Adam as we discuss what it's like for a visitor to immerse oneself in the favela during a visit there. After an experience here uh, in Vigigal with Favela Experience, uh, I'm sure your guests have a different perspective of what life in a favela is all about, what this side of Rio is is all about. What kinds of things do you hear from your guests after they've had a stay with you about about the positive aspects of, of being here as opposed to staying in more of the tourist zones? Right. Well, the majority of people usually say they wish they would have stayed here longer and stayed less time in Copacabana and Ipanema. Um, because especially with Vigigal's location, you have access to all the beaches you need. Uh, pretty easily as well. You have Vigigal Beach, which is a 10-minute walk from our hostel, um, which is, is a community beach, and, and even the experience there, in my opinion, is much more authentic. You're hanging out with residents instead of tourists. And, um, you know, mo- most people, by the end of their stay, say, wow, everything that I thought about Favelas was wrong. 
Um, everything that I've seen here is, is is a lot of you know hardworking lower middle class individuals just trying to make things meet and and they were received extremely well and um, extremely thankful for that opportunity. You know, I think I think that's that's a really important contribution that we're able to make to to the stereotypes. Uh, of favelas because even just somebody staying here for one night already can change their perspective and the other thing that's really interesting is is about is the security perspective right is after staying here they wow when i get to the favela when i arrive in vigigal i feel safer when i'm out in the city and i'm out doing different things it's fine and you know in general rio isn't isn't as dangerous as many people think but when they arrive in in the favela it's like Okay, now I can chill, and and I think that's a really interesting thing considering you have Rio residents that have lived their entire life in Ipanema that we're looking at right now that will never come here because they believe it's a crime-ridden hellhole, and they think tourists are crazy for coming here. As we walked throughout the Favela Experience Hostel, we noticed two awards, one from TripAdvisor and the other from Booking.com. Those awards are based on uh, you know, consistency and high-quality mm. um, you know, accommodation and, and, and services. So, um, be, you know, because for two years straight, you know, with minimal resources, we've, we've been able to focus on the essentials of quality hospitality. You know, and that's providing authentic experiences, treating people like friends, connecting them to experiences that they never would have otherwise had, and you know, just doing the best to, to provide a quality accommodation experience. Um, and so, you know, thank, thankfully, you know, we've been recognized. The most frightening experience we had in Vigigal was the motorcycle ride up the mountain to Favela Experience. We learned that there were a number of transportation options available for all comfort levels and suitcase sizes. Well, you can arrive to the front of our property by Uber or by taxi. It's, oh. uh, it's not a problem. The, the, you also have vans at the bottom of the community for those of the people that are a little bit intimidated by a motorcycle ride or, or maybe just don't physically have the ability to, to ride on a motorcycle. Um, you do have the van service at the bottom. We also work with local drivers within the community that can do airport pickups, sort of pick people up from whatever location that they're at and bring them directly to our location. So, of course, my, my personal opinion in general is to be the most effective, efficient traveler. A big backpack is all you need anyways. Um, I don't think there's a necessity to bring your entire closet with you, especially when you come to a place like Rio, where the weather permits you to get by with a bathing suit and a t-shirt every day anyways. <laughs> there are also a variety of transportation options to get around in the favela. The moto taxis, are, it's actually a, a, an organized uh, uh, operation within the community. It's, it's managed by the UPP, uh, or it's, it's surveillance by the, by the UPP, which is the pacification, the, the pacification units. Um, they, all of them have numbers on their chest, and so uh, if you ever had any issues or anything, like people can make complaints to us, and we're able to actually go and, and tell the, the police about that uh, to maintain its quality. But the, the mototaxi is the easiest transportation mode for people to get around the community because, like you said, there's people that live at the top of the favela that if you were to walk, it would take you 30 to 40 minutes to get to the top. And uh, when you have to come and go from work every single day, that can be quite the effort just to, just to try and get to your house. So the motor taxi is definitely the most efficient, effective way. It costs three reais fifty, uh, so you know a little more than a dollar. Um, whether you're going when you're coming down, it's around two reais. Um, so and that's my preferred method. But uh, of course, it, it can be a little bit crazy just because they they can tend to go fast. 
but you do have different vans and stuff that, that take people around the favela but many people who still don't really have enough money to pay for those transportation options every day still walk every single day from their houses and for people that don't live on main streets that live on alleyways that can mean three to five hundred stairs every single day to go to or from your house and so yeah you can you can definitely account on uh, getting some good exercise as well um, just by coming here definitely a unique experience. So Adam, in closing, um, tell us what your life has been like here and how living here has transformed you. Yeah, I mean, moving to Brazil is the best decision I ever made in my entire life. Um, and moving to the favela even more so. I really, it's actually, you know, the more I travel around the world, the more I, I start to love this place. And the, the more I value the, the people and the, and the things that I see around me, you know, it's I've always been treated with such open arms and such respect, and uh, I've never, I've never felt intimidated, you know, from a security standpoint about about living in the favela. And you know, just walking around the street every day, just amazing the relationships you build with people, the stories you hear from them. You know, eating, eating on the corner with the same, same 65-year-old lady every single day, and hearing the story of her life. You gain a lot of respect for the people that live here. You know, and it, and it teaches you a lot about life and and humility and. And, and making sure that uh, you know you, you value what it is that you have. And in the U.S., the majority of us have pretty privileged lives, um, and so I think it's important, you know, coming to a place like that. It, it gives you a lot of perspective, and um, and and a lot of appreciation for many of the people that have come here that have had a lot of suffering in their life to come here. You know, traveling from extreme ends of the country for at the chance of opportunity through generations of development working and living out of a place where the, the cards are stacked against them, you know. So for me, living within that environment and creating a business in an environment where things break down constantly and, and people are constantly judging you um, that are from outside of the community and, uh, and, and things are not, life is not faci facilitated for you on a regular basis, uh, really builds into your character patience and, uh, and humility and and a, and, a, and a willingness to just try to be a little bit more attentive to the world around you, you know. So those are those are lessons that I'll be able to take with me anywhere I go, and, and I think will be key factors in me being able to build successful businesses, you know, independent of where I am. For more about Favela Experience and Vigigal, visit favelaexperience.com. We will also have links on this show page at worldfootprints.com. destination spotlight, while in Rio, we ventured into the hills above Ipanema to explore favela experience, a hostel in Vidigal. There we met Zach Barney, a young man from the Washington, D.C. metro area, who at the time of our interview worked as an intern at the hostel. So right now I'm volunteering at Favela Experience, and I'm working at the reception here at uh, Favets and also... I'm doing some marketing work here uh, during my stay, and I'll be here for five months uh, until November, and then I go back to the United States. Now, what what 
brought you here initially? I mean, why uh, Favela Experience? Well, originally, I did a study abroad uh, last year, and I stayed in in Copacabana, and occasionally I would walk the beach in Ipanema, and I would look up and see the sunset, and I'd always see Vigidao, and I was always amazed by the favela and wanted to explore it, and it always seemed like the authentic part of Brazil, so... This time I wanted to really experience the real Brazil and have a chance to interact with locals here also. You had been to Brazil before this experience. I was here from July to January in 2015, and that, so that was six months. And during that time I, I spent, spent most of my time studying abroad, but also I volunteered in some favelas teaching English and also traveled a little bit around Brazil. What is the most memorable uh, thing that you will take back to the United States? So before the last time and this time, it's always been the people. The people here in Brazil and in Rio especially are incredible because the people out here in Brazil make the place so much more like incredible and special. For people that are maybe afraid of coming and visiting the favela because of negative stereotypes in the media, I would say to try to ignore the things that the media is trying to tell you and just try to see the favela for yourself because it's a really special place and there's so much going on every day. It's just the people just make the place. The job of boosting inbound international visitors to Brazil falls on the shoulders of Embratur, the inbound tourism promotion agency of the government and its president, Vinicius Lumeritz. Even though Brazil is blessed with abundant natural beauty, wonderful weather, a rich culture, and beautiful people, the country has a lot to overcome as we learned in our conversations with Vinicius in Rio during our time there. Tell us what your challenge, your biggest challenges are in selling Brazil to the rest of the world. You've got a beautiful country. Well, I think uh, Brazil has to be uh, better known. And uh, I think the uh, series of large events that Brazil has put on since 2007 uh, has helped uh, immensely uh, in terms of uh, showcasing Brazil to the world. Now, we have to keep uh, that going. And the biggest challenge is, is to do that without having these such large-scale uh, events as we had, uh, including the World Cup and the Olympics. People who have never traveled to Brazil know about the iconic landmarks like Christ the Redeemer, Copacabana Beach, and Ipanema. But they may also paint Brazil with a broad brush based on news reports. We asked Vinicius to address some of the misperceptions that plague the country. Well, I think uh, uh, misconception is part of conception in the sense that people tend to uh, theorize and to, uh, you know, cliches have to be built. Uh, otherwise, people can, cannot communicate because people need symbols. What happens in the end is that the symbols get old as compared to reality because reality evolves. And then you get locked in certain uh, misprints 
of what the reality is because reality has changed. Now, I think what we've done uh, with these uh, important large events uh, is to have shown a more updated view of Brazil. I mean, that may be not too clear for every generation, but I think we have, uh, we have put on a case for a more... Uh, contemporary Brazil with the opening ceremonies of both both Olympics and Paralympics. I think the images in general have shown a more um, modern Brazil. Uh, when you talk about the World Cup, uh, we're talking about 12 cities instead of uh, four or six or eight cities in previous Olympic, uh, previous uh, uh, World Cup games. Uh, so it's very subtle, uh, but it's steady because events, uh, large-scale events, were were put on since 2007. So, you know, it's almost 10 years of showcasing, showcasing Brazil. And that goes along with the opening of the economy because Brazil's uh, participation in world trade is growing and we, we need it to grow it more. Uh, so it's all interconnected. Uh, and the good thing about Brazil's uh, not being too known or too well known in the world is the secret. Uh, and the secret is a, is a good idea in terms of the, the uh, possibilities, in terms of potentials uh, for the new generations to develop. Because the world for uh, the well-traveled tourists is a too well-known place sometimes. And sometimes, uh, you know, there's a curve where uh, tourism and tourists, they alter so much the, the, re the existing reality. Uh, that there's not much to be seen at a certain point at places that you have seen and they have so um, large-scale mass tourism uh, that sometimes uh, the traveler wish he could go to places he cannot imagine exist, and we can offer that. Brazil is a melting pot, and that is apparent in the integration of languages and dialects, so we asked about the cultural heritage of the country. Well, this is a... Uh, 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 a continental uh, country. Uh, uh, we uh, uh, we sprang from the, uh, equ the equator, uh, from in, in very different, uh, um, I would say, very different latitudes. So it makes makes the country very different from the geographic and climatic conditions. Uh, we have temperate climate in the south, and then uh, uh, the different colonization processes in every in different areas of Brazil, uh, they make uh, Brazil uh, in a way more of a mosaic rather than a, a country very easily explained by one or two places which are, you know, the well-known places uh, for tourism. And as for language, language sometimes expresses that because uh, you, you say French words, yes. Uh, Portuguese itself, it's already a, 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 an evolution of Latin, and Brazilian Portuguese has a lot of influence of Indian words as well. Um, and that influence goes, in, in, in cultural terms, uh, uh, to an idea highly praised in the United States, and then we make a, a, a funny comparison here. You say America is a melting pot. We say Brazil is a melting pot, uh, because racially we are more mixed so it's more melted, whereas the United States is more like a salad, where things are together, but they're not too well mixed. So we're more like a soup. You're listening to World Footprints with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. We're speaking with Vinicius Lumertz of Embratur, the Brazilian agency responsible for selling Brazil to the rest of the world. Brazil is a very progressive country, but its most precious resource 
is its people. So it's quite a phenomenon to have a, a large democracy, the size of Brazil, uh, one man, one vote, uh, a developing country, and doing all these efforts to um, uh, showcase itself to the world and trying to become a possibility uh, in human terms as well, because the best evaluated item in these events, especially now in the Olympics, by the foreigner visitor, foreign visitor said 98.7 uh, of the foreign visitors said the thing they liked the most about Brazil, about Brazil was the people. And it's surprising to us because we are, you know, we used to the way we we treat ourselves. And I think I think the uh, uh, the most intriguing thing about Brazil is the presence, the Brazil's uh, uh, way of uh, the Brazilian way of being present, uh, which is. Uh, to us, when we travel abroad, we feel sometimes the absence uh, of a professional. When we have a professional, but you don't have the person there as much because it's so technical, it's so professional. And whereas here, we are in an earlier level of perhaps of this so-called civilization, the modern civilization, capitalism, uh, that perhaps we have still something to offer on that side as well. Uh, and the shows in music, shows in, in arts, uh, and shows in the streets. You've mentioned the diversity of people. We've talked about the culture. When we think about Brazil, and you think about uh, Brazil and selling this country to an international audience, what do you think about coming to Brazil will transform someone in terms of their experience here? What will they get out of Brazil that they wouldn't get anywhere else? I think traveling does that to people in general. Um, uh, travel gives you perspective, gives you an opportunity to open yourself and compare, uh, to see things in relative terms. Because when you don't travel, you live in absolutes. Uh, you live in your own culture, and that gives you the impression of, of the things the way they are as they should be. Whereas when you see people living differently, uh, uh, as your question should suggest, something happens when you compare. Uh, and true, absolute truth doesn't exist. What exists, to me, is relative truth, in the sense of what you can compare. I mean, uh, compared to what? And I think w perhaps what's valuable in Brazil uh, is uh, this relation that Brazil's, Brazilian people have uh, to their body, uh, uh, the way they express themselves, uh, and, and with a touch, uh, some civilizations don't admit touch. Uh, they call it sexual har harassment sometimes when it's just a hug, you know. Uh, and I think that proximity, uh, I think it's it's something that we still have here. Uh, and I say still because we don't know about the future, how globalization, globalized uh, behavior affects people, you know, with this politically correct stuff, you know, which is good on one side but dangerous on the other because every excess leads to a... Uh, to uh, its opposite, you know, to in intolerance sometimes. Uh, but I think uh, the human factor in Brazil, uh, and I'm, this is not uh, propaganda, this is a reality. Uh, we live here and uh, I think people are tender. Uh, uh, that doesn't solve every problem, uh, to be nice to each other naturally, but that helps. I think that uh, helps and I think uh, that's one reflection that a tourist uh, may find. Uh, 
which is different. You know, if you go to Japan, probably you think, well, we have to, I have to be quiet or quieter <laughs> and more reflexive. Uh, perhaps if I go to, uh, I don't know, to an uh, island in, in the Caribbean, maybe, you know, you find out you have smoked cigars and drink uh, <laughs> rum and, <laughs> and become a Cuban. But I think every country uh, gives you uh, uh, something to think about. Even Switzerland, I think, does. <laughs> Vinicius talked a lot about the future of Brazil, so we asked about the country's future post-Olympics, and also about Rio's waterfront where the futuristic Museum of Tomorrow stood in the distance as we spoke. Well, I mean, sorry for the uh, discussion about the museum. The museum is included in the uh, revamping of the whole port area of Rio. I mean, that was very much uh, inspired by what happened in Barcelona. I think Barcelona has a, an influence in the strategy uh, of large events like the Olympics. And I think we're pretty successful with that, uh, and I think the uh, Tomorrow Museum is part of that. Uh, the uh, works that have been done here to put down uh, some of the of the high um, uh, uh, viaducts and 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 works, uh, they I think resemble a lot of what happened with the big dig in Boston. Uh, where you bring back the relationship with downtown and the city with the sea. I think we accomplished that as well here. Uh, and also alongside with uh, tomorrow's museum, you have also the uh, Arts Museum of Rio right by it. Huh? So I think we've accomplished here, uh, uh, reconquered, uh, I think, the, uh, the human dimension of downtown Rio where people can walk. Uh, and I think we have thousands and thousands of people here, uh, I think, uh, enjoy that uh, I think that's a, a good thing uh, uh, you have the VLT on top of it so you know people can move in and out of downtown Rio so we have downtown Rio back uh, with a strategy and it worked uh, uh, so I think uh, that adds value to the city's um, uh, uh, I think to the uh, the, Im- the self-image of the city to plan your Brazil adventure visit brazil.com and explore the people, places, and culture of this special country. Also, look for a link on this show page at worldfootprints.com. You know, babe, out of all of the places we've traveled around the world, I think I was most surprised with Brazil. We went at a very crucial time at a, at a scary time when we heard nothing but Zika and crime and so we really weren't sure what we would face in Brazil and even friends and family who have traveled there were very concerned about our travels but Brazil because we did our own ground truthing as we do when we travel anywhere we experienced something so rich and wonderful that we could have allowed media reports to cheat us out of. And I'm so grateful that we overcame our own fears and trepidation to take that trip to Rio because it was one of those transformative trips for us. And even though you heard it a lot during the show, and it may sound somewhat cliche-ish, but really the people are what Brazil really has to offer and it's what made our time there so special and so memorable and the people were genuinely nice hardworking, and there were a lot of things that we experienced there that 
continue to touch us, uh, our experience was positive. Overcoming those negative perceptions born from press from the West, looking at a country through their own prejudices and biases, is one of those things that we really came to appreciate during our time there and how hard one has to work to overcome that. But we had a wonderful time and I wouldn't take it back for anything. We felt so much in love with Brazil. We actually considered moving to Rio and certainly there are more parts of the country we both really want to explore. Speaking of some of the headlines that preceded our coverage there, when we were there, and I talked about this in a recent TEDx talk, we saw two mosquitoes in one single taxi cab at the same time, and they died very quickly at my hands. And those are the only mosquitoes we saw the entire time, and it partly because the Zika virus was concentrated in the northeastern part of Brazil, and not in Rio, as uh, media suggested. And so, you know, there really wasn't the, the epidemic uh, in, in Rio that, um, that everyone was concerned about. One of those parts of this trip that really stretched us uh, was that trip uh, to Vigigal to visit Adam Newman and uh, Zach at Favela Experience and just going there and that experience up the hill riding on the back of a motorcycle. We uh, will not do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we will not do that again, but it, uh, it, it, it opened our eyes and it really got us off the beaten path to really see what life was like in one of the communities where few probably venture uh, when they travel to Rio. And that was a very enlightening and enriching experience. Right. And, you know, with my lens, captured some fantastic street art. And I think that was one of the, the richest things that we saw in uh, in the favela itself. But, you know, even Vigigal aside, and Vigigal is a very progressive, artsy community. But we walked past a favela each and every night. We uh, went to the metro and, and came back to our hotel. And we never had a problem. And that's not to say that crime was not present because we have friends who were robbed at knife point, but they were doing something that made them stick out. They were went for a midnight swim on a dark and deserted beach with their camera equipment and other valuables. And locals don't even frequent the beach late at night. And, you know, when nobody is around, you have to be very mindful, particularly in a foreign country, because I tell you, there are places in the Metro DC area, I will not walk, even at dusk. That was just another, you know, our experiences, well-rounded experiences, really never did validate the headlines. And we hope that those stories and, and our experiences really came through in the show. So in closing, we'd love to leave you with the words of Kate Douglas Wiggin from New Chronicles of Rebecca. There is a kind of magicness about going far away and then coming back all changed, which Rio did for us. Thank you for inviting us into your home to share the joys of our world. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we look forward to sharing our next journey with you on World Footprints. World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints Media, Silver Spring, Maryland. 
The multi-award-winning radio show can be heard around the globe on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes and more. Visit worldfootprints.com for a complete list. World Footprints Radio is a leading voice in socially responsible travel. At worldfootprints.com, you'll find an archive of past broadcasts, travel news, reviews, and information you can use to deepen your travel experience. Listen, learn, and live it at worldfootprints.com.